Hi everyone, this is Jessica Chen and you are listening to the Communicating Confidently podcast. Each episode is meant to teach and inspire you to find new ways to level up your speaking skills. Because here's the truth, it's possible and I'm so thrilled you're here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit the follow button and share this episode with your friends and family. Now let's get into it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to our Communicating Confidently podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking with Bill Shander, and he is the expert when it comes to using data and storytelling marrying it together to be an impactful presenter. It's going to be a great episode. We're going to be talking about things such as how can you communicate with data in a very compelling way? How do you use storytelling to engage your audience and help them visualize the message you're trying to say? And of course, using creative strategies to help your audience think in a different way. We're going to be sharing a lot of our favorite tips and tricks, including how do you present? So people are thinking, wow, this information is amazing. Let's get into it. Hey, Bill, how's it going? Hello. Good. How are you, Jessica? Good. So for those who don't know Bill, Bill is a data storytelling expert. Now, I don't want to do the intro for you, Bill, but for those who aren't familiar with you and your work, Bill, please tell the folks. We have over 150 of y'all on this call right now. Please tell the folks who you are and the work that you do. Sure. Well, I'm excited to be here and uh, to be talking to everybody. I did see all the people from all around the world, which is always exciting. Uh, And I also have to comment. I saw some person who said, I'm from where the Green Bay Packers play. Is that Madison? Is that Milwaukee? No, I'm just kidding. It's Green Bay, Wisconsin. Uh, So it's always fun to see how people introduce themselves. Um, So my background, yes, I am a data data storyteller. So what does that mean? It means that I take data and I figure out how to communicate to people. So that's why this, this stuff blends together. And communicating with data is a unique, special, interesting thing. Um, I come at it from a very weird direction as we were talking about it before we came online. Uh, I was actually trained as a journalist. um, And so in a way it makes sense because I learned how to take complex information and distill it and translate it and then communicate it to people, normal humans. Uh, And I learned data along the way and I learned design along the way and programming along the way. And suddenly I found myself doing this very interesting, weird little niche uh, universe of work. Um, but I love it. It's really fun and interesting because I get to work with my left brain and my right brain all at the same time. So I also teach, you know, data visualization specifically. I teach present, you know, presenting data. Also, one of my newest courses on LinkedIn is about presenting with data. So, you know, it's, it's a topic that I'm very passionate about, which I'm sure will come through uh, in today's conversation. Well, thank you so much, Bill, for being here. And yes, Bill, as you mentioned, right before you and I jumped on here, you and I were chit-chatting behind the scenes here. And, and Bill, you said that you started as a journalist and of course I started as a journalist too so and in, in instantly we already had that connection I was like cuz I get it you know as a former TV journalist we always had to take dense data things that were you know in very specific niche industries and then we had to always ask ourselves okay how do I take this and how do I simplify this concept so that everybody anybody really can understand it so I think our topic today is something that I care about really deeply because I know for a lot of people, it does, it's not always so instant or second nature of being able to take complex ideas 
and simplify it. So I kind of want to start with that as our jumping off topic. So Bill, how do you go about approaching taking massive amounts of data, topics, information, and how do you even go about communicating it to people so they understand? What's your approach here? It's a great question. You know, I've actually broken it down into a very, very simple process. It's four steps. And the fourth step is execution, actually creating whatever it is you're creating in tools. And forget about that. The tools are easy. The harder part is the first three steps. The first step is not really hard, but it's something you have to remind yourself to do, most people. And it's all about knowing what to focus on. Because yeah, you have a giant pile of data. If you literally just picked up that giant pile of data and put it down in front of your audience, well, you're not helping them, you're not communicating, you're just making them into, you know, asking them to analyze the data, et cetera, et cetera. So you have to, as you said, translate it, filter it, you know, uh, you know focus it, aggregate it. And you can do look at three things to do that. The first thing, and by the way, I came up with a series of terrible acronyms to, to remember the three things. You won't remember the acronyms, but you'll remember the three things. They're called the QUIs, okay, K-W-Y, which, which rhymes with a Y, so that's why they kind of make sense. Um, so the first QUI is QUIDIS, okay, terrible acronym. But it stands for know what your data is saying. In order to communicate data, you have to understand your data. And to your point, no, no matter what you're communicating, whatever, it's a big complex concept, you have to understand it to communicate it. And that's obvious, but especially with data, people are like, I'm math phobic, I'm afraid of the numbers. Mm -hmm. You have to understand it to some degree. It doesn't mean you have to be a data scientist, but you have to get it enough to communicate. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. Second area of focus, you have to know what your audience needs to hear, quienth, okay? Your audience is the key, right? Communications is all about the audience. It's not a one-way thing. You're not shouting into the void. There's someone on the other side of that and they're the ones who need to understand. So you have to be obsessed with what they really need from that information. And then the third focal point is knowing what you really want to say, Corwitz, okay? So these are like three legs of a stool. You have to understand your data. You have to really understand your audience and what they specifically need from that data right now, and maybe even what actions you think they're going to take with that data. But you also do have a point of view on that data. Now, these things blend together a lot. Like what your audience needs to hear is probably very tightly related to what's going on in the data. What you want to say better be related to what your audience needs to hear, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But those are the three legs of the stool. If any one of those fail, if you haven't thought through all three of those very strategically, the whole thing is going to fall apart. So that's the first thing. The second step in the process is to think of how to then organize those things once you understand them into a narrative structure that's going to work for an audience, which we can talk more about later on. And then the third thing is to create visuals that are impactful and compelling and that make it easy to grasp those difficult concepts and or data in a way your audience can really wrap their head around. So that's a fairly quick, you know, high level view, but the quies are really key. If you nail those, every single decision you make later is easier to make because it always circles back to those being, those are like your strategic guardrails essentially. So you definitely just dropped some what I call golden nuggets. And hopefully those who are listening and watching right now, you're able to remember. And from what I took down, I was actually also writing down, I was like, okay, this is what Bill's trying to say here. It's like, okay, when it comes to data, you first have to be able to really understand and be able to kind of sort of process this amount of information. And then from there, you then have to think about your audience. What does your audience care about? What is it that they need to hear? And then from there, you can then start 
compiling your quote unquote communications, right? How am I going to put all this information together and how am I going to almost transfer it to whoever it is I need to let them know, whether it's your team, a specific person, a large audience. So these, what you call, you call them the pillars, right? Like of the three um, legged uh, bar stool. These are the things that you want to almost ask yourself and remind yourself anytime you are about to embark on taking large amount of information and trying to simplify it. So the next question that I just kind of am thinking about, and I kind of think about, you know, when I struggle with using data and I'm trying to communicate it out, it's, it's how do you pick and choose what is the most important part, especially if there's so much really valuable information, because I do know one thing, and I'm sure you can, you agree with this bill, but what you don't want to do is you don't want to dump everything all at yeah. once either. You don't want to dump all this information because nobody's going to be able to retain that information either. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the key thing there is the quiz theoretically will help you do exactly that. So an easy way of thinking about it is this, and people use this phrase a lot. You got to figure out the true so what in your data. And that's what you should be actually communicating out. Another way of phrasing it is, you know, you think about, you, you want to separate the interesting from the important. So as an example, I did a survey and I asked a thousand people to rate, you know, they're, they're, to give us their favorite flavor of ice cream, okay? And I have all kinds of information about those thousand people. I have, you know, their gender, their age, where they're from, whether they're left-handed or right-handed, whether their hair color is this, that, or the other, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the discoveries I found in the data is that left-handed people prefer chocolate chip ice cream. Right-handed people prefer strawberry ice cream. Who cares? Is that going to help you market your ice cream flavor? You know, are you really marketing towards handedness? If not, interesting, maybe, not important. And the quies are going to help you figure that out. What, what does my audience need from this? Am I marketing on a left-handedness website? Maybe, okay? In that case, maybe I need to know that. But usually, I'm advertising Google ads or on CNN or wherever. I couldn't care less about handedness. So what does my audience need? They need to figure out where to buy the ice cream right? or which ice cream they should buy. Uh, what do I need? I need to sell more ice cream. What is the data saying? It's saying that people who like this like that. That's the important stuff based on the quiz, which helps me narrow in and focus on the parts that really matter. Does that make sense? It definitely makes sense. Interesting versus important. And I think that's a really good way to almost siphon certain information when you're trying to figure out what do, what, what do I need to keep? Versus what yeah. can I kind of put to the side for now and use it maybe in a different time, a different place when my audience is different. But if I know today the audience that I'm communicating to cares about, not about whether you're left-handed or right-handed, but they care more about something else, then I can take that information, store it, remember it, and then communicate to the heart of what people, again, care about. Because that's really what communications yeah. is. If you can't speak to what people care about, people are not going to retain the information. That's it. And I'll tell you what, one of the best pieces of advice I can give related to this is essentially, and this is my favorite way of saying it, is it's better to be a ruthless editor than a good writer, designer, creator of anything. Editing implies you've thrown it all on the page and you're figuring out what to pluck away and take off. And that's really important because no matter what you do, you're going to put more down when you start and you're going to want to take stuff away to make it perfect. But even better than that, if you can, is to simply change your default behavior to no. 
Meaning, by default, I'm going to put as little as I can possibly put in this communications about this data. I have 87 gigabytes of data, 8,000 insights, 400 fields and variables, and blah, blah, blah. If I can get away with saying this with one number, I'm going to do that. If I can get away with saying it with four numbers, I'm going to do that. So you do as little as you can possibly get away with. If you start from a default of no, then it's easier to focus because it's like you're, you're starting from a focal point and only expanding as much as you must. I wonder if it's easier for people to do it that way, to kind of start out with little and then go out versus going out and with a lot to little. I don't know. It's not, I don't think it's easier for people to do it that way, especially to start. You know, when, when you're learning to write, you know, an easy sort of uh, metaphor people do more of, you're told, you know, just throw it all on the page, get it all down, and then you can always strip it away. And that's a good, a good way to learn, a good process. But if you change your inner default to no, even as you're getting it all down, you're like, well, that sentence is terrible. I'm definitely going to go back and scratch that. Like, you know, you get a really good instinct for even as you're doing it, knowing what's really not helpful or important. Uh, so when you come back to it, you can, you can make it better. So yeah, it, it's, I wouldn't say it's a good process to start from zero, um, when you're learning, but if you learn how to do it well, like by the, now that I've been doing this for a million years, I'm pretty good at knowing what to just leave out from the beginning. It doesn't even end up on the page usually. Mm -hmm. So I want to do a quick reset for those who are actually just joining right now. So I'm here with my friend, Bill, and we are talking all things communications and data storytelling. We just scratched the surface of this topic. And there's so many other questions that I have for you, Bill. But for those who are just joining for the first time, welcome. Right now, Bill, we have over 175 folks who are dialing in from around the world listening to our chat. So again, thank you all for taking your, your morning, your evening, your afternoon, wherever it is you're dialing in from and listening to this topic. So Bill, one of the other questions I had for you has to do with what's also on our topic, which is the storytelling, the storytelling yeah. part of data. What does that even mean? Let's just start there. What is that? <laughs> so, you know, it's similar to what, what I was talking about before. You don't just take a giant pile of data and throw it at your audience and hope they can figure it out. No, you aggregate it, you summarize it, you figure out your quies, you know what's important to focus in on. Okay, that's a good start. But it is well known that humans are uh, wired for story. If you put someone in an MRI machine and you watch their brain and you just list off a bunch of facts at them, you know, the keyboard is silver. It's sunny outside, the water is wet, I had uh, you know, soup for lunch. That was a terrible story. And you know what happens when you do that is that the language portion of the brain lights up. If you actually make it into a story, and boy, how, how am I gonna connect all those things into a story? I don't know. You know I was sitting uh, typing a letter to my, my cousin at my silver keyboard while I was eating a lovely pea soup at lunch today. So if you just string those things together and something that feels more like a story, and again, you watch the brain in an fMRI machine, what you see is not just the language portion of the brain light up, but the olfactory, you know, the, the um, smell portion of the brain, the vision portion of the brain, more parts of the brain light up because people connect with the story. Who cares? Well. We care because the more parts of the brain that are active in responding to this content, the better that person is likely to remember and understand what you're telling them. 
So human beings are wired for story, end of discussion. So story is important. So what's a data story? <laughs> a data story is taking that pile of data, taking those aggregated insights, taking that stuff, and yeah, not just regurgitating it, 42% this, 67% that at people, that's a bunch of facts. No, it's, you know what? We did a survey and we found that 82% of people prefer strawberry ice cream to vanilla ice cream, which leads us to believe that dot, dot, dot. It's just, it can be as simple as language that creates a flow. And by the way, what is a story? I have two very simple ingredients for a story. Number one, and by the way, I was an English major for college, so I learned all kinds of useless stuff about stories that I'm not even going to talk about because none of it matters for our context, okay? Two things. Number one, a story is a linear experience. So yes, this and then this and then this and then this and this. There's no such thing as a nonlinear story. So that's number one. Number two, what is a story? It's a linear experience that flows. I don't even have to define flow. You know flow when you hear it. The keyboard is silver, ice cream is red, the sky is purple. That's not a story, that did not flow at all. The keyboard is silver as I was eating my green pea soup, da 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 da. The flow is something your ear will naturally hear and understand. If it simply flows, then you, you, you it, it's deeply ingrained in our bodies to respond to that. So data storytelling is simply communicating data, yeah, it's numbers, in a way that flows together in a logical way. So it's, it's actually that simple. Um, and you can add more nuance on top of that, but really for our purposes, that's all you have to remember. It reminds me of back in my old journalism days of how we had to go about crafting stories. And in our mind, our priority was, okay, how can we start off our, our quote unquote story or, or presentation or you know whatever, to capture the audience's attention. And we always would think of it as how can we humanize? How can we humanize yeah. this quote unquote data? So like, let's say we're doing a story about like X percent of Americans, for example, X percent of Americans have this. Instead of just saying like all these data and facts about, about the statistics, we may find that human that fits into this quote unquote statistic or data and have them share their experience, have them share their feelings. And then that almost yeah. puts a face to that number. And I found that that's very powerful. Is that something that you can resonate with, Bill? Totally, yeah, and that's the thing. That in addition to that stories are linear and they flow, there are a bunch of different storytelling frameworks, different ways of telling stories. One of them is, yeah, what I call the make it human story. Let me tell you about Susie Jones, and then we'll extrapolate to the general, the statistics that she represents. Another type of story is just a purely chronological story. This happened, and then this, and then this, and then this. Those are two fine, good story techniques. And, and the making human one is especially good for very abstract data. Um, there are other storytelling techniques. You know, Pixar uses the once upon a time story. It's a very sort of classic framework for an emotional story, which they use for literally every movie they make. Businesses always tell the story of, here's the background, here's the recommendation, here are the next steps. So these ways of organizing stories are all good. Depending on the context, one might work better than another, et cetera. But the thing that makes them really work, most importantly at all, is the fact that they flow. I can tell you a story that's, that's a make it human story, Susie Jones, and, and extrapolate to the general and the data. I could take that same story and just tell it in a chronological story. Either way, it's gonna work. Now, the, the personal one, the human one, might connect with a broader audience more easily, 
But any framework will work if you're really good at figuring out how to flow it all together. Which brings up another point. You know, in journalism, we were taught have like you said a really strong lead, like the who, what, when, where, why. Better be in that first paragraph. You got to hook them because not to mention in news, they might not go beyond paragraph three. No one's going to yeah. read your last paragraph almost ever. So the goals of a journalistic story are different. It's like hook them, get them what they need, and if they leave, at least give them as much as you can. So it's it's pack it up at, up top, right? In literature, so like <laughs> I teach a workshop where I show uh, a, one sentence from Absalom, Absalom, which is a William Faulkner book. He's famous for endless sentences. This one sentence has 122 words. He goes on and on and on and on and on all about this, you know, this person is in this room and it's super hot and, you know, it, it just goes on forever. And if you wanted to summarize that one sentence in as short a, a format as you could, it would literally be, they sat in the room all afternoon, but it's 122 words to say that because that's, literature, right? That's art. The nuance and the, and the beauty and, and the language is very different. The goals are different. In data storytelling, we tend more towards the journalistic side, <laughs> tend to be a little bit more brief, a little bit more to the point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as long as it flows, it's good. And every human knows how to make a story flow because we tell stories all the time. So mm -hmm. the problem with data storytelling is that we tend to get freaked out by the data so we forget how to tell stories like normal humans. So that's another <laughs> thing that, you know, you just have to remember to step away from the data and just turn your human brain back on and, and tell a story. One of my favorite tips, and this is a tip that I share with all my clients that I work with, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or to big corporate audiences who are trying to speak with more clarity, is to just go back to the basics and just ask yourself this question. What's the point I'm trying to make here? What's yeah. the point I'm trying to make with X amount of information? And just asking that one powerful question, whether that's, if you need a reminder, just even writing it down on a post-it note, place it next to your, your computer and just always remember to glance down at it whenever you're feeling overwhelmed with information. What's the point I'm trying to make here? Even in the middle of doing our presentation, because sometimes people can get quite yeah. long-winded. They start to repeat themselves. I always remember, remind them, okay, if you ever find yourself getting to that point where you're starting to be like, okay, I'm repeating myself, go yeah. back to, okay, what is it that I'm trying to say here? And that's a good way to reset with a lot, totally. of, a lot of data as well. And you should be constantly resetting because, you know, and that's the quiz again, by the way, because yeah, you, you think of those things at the very beginning of the process, then you're into the storytelling part. You're getting, putting that narrative together and it feels like the story's wandering. You're like, wait, what's it? Oh yeah. Let me go back to those quiz again. What, what am I trying to really say here? What does my audience need here? And then when you're doing the design, the visualizations later on, you're constantly circling back to that one question or those three questions because they will keep you on the rails. They will, they will keep you going forward. If you don't, then that is when you go off on tangents and then suddenly you're, you're in the middle of nowhere and you're like, I, I don't even know where I am. I don't even know who I am anymore. Like, you know, <laughs> so you're completely I? lost. Where am I? Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's a good, again, it's a good reminder that if, if you yourself can that you are being a bit long-winded to, again, always do that reset. So one quick thing that I want to mention to everybody. So I know a lot of us are dialing in from folks from places from all over the world, but I'm also curious. I assume the reason why you're all here listening is because perhaps you work with data in some capacity in your career. So I actually would love to see if you can all drop in the chat function what industry it is that you work with and how, how you use data right now in perhaps your everyday work. I'd love to see it into the comments section 
whether you are in the finance industry or you're in the tech industry, I'd love to know, do you use data in your everyday work? How is it that you use data? And even, hey, if there's certain challenges that you are experiencing when deciphering, when you know aggregating all this data, throw it into the chat function. I would love to kind of read what is it that everybody's experiencing, because again, this is about data storytelling and communications. So, and by the way, you know, to that point, <clears throat> you know, you were a journalist, I was a journalist. I don't know about you, but why did you go into journalism? I know why I did. It's because I, I, I like to go like an inch deep and a mile wide. I don't want to specialize in anything. I like to just learn all kinds of new things all the time. Yeah. Everybody works with data. I might be working with a nonprofit one week, a big corporation the next week, government agency the following week, et cetera. It's everybody works with data. You know, whether you're just doing, like, we did a dumb little survey of our employees, or we did a huge academic study about X, Y, Z, everybody has data. Everyone's using data in a PowerPoint presentation 100 times a year, 30 times a year. And so it, it's everybody, everything. Uh, and so that's what keeps it interesting for me is that it's just an endless, uh, supply of interesting ideas that I get to help people communicate. And the the work that goes into collecting data is important work. You know, it's important work in the sense that you need this data to get some real concrete idea of what's going on. Otherwise, it's just anecdotal. We're just assuming, oh, that feels right, you know, but you need data to really know for sure what the heck is going on. But the problem is once you've done all the work to collect this data, unless you can communicate it well, it will just fall flat. Nobody's going to yeah. understand the impact of why that data is so important. So for all of us who are on this right now, figuring out how to communicate it well is something that is something that you can learn and it's something that can get better as you do with time. Sometimes people go, oh, I can't do it. I just, I'm never going to be a good data storyteller. I'm never going to be able to communicate this well. But no, 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 no. I always say that's not true. And that's one of the reasons why I teach communications is because communications is a skill that can be learned. And I'm sure, Bill, data storytelling is a skill that can be learned, too. Definitely. And by the way, the primary reason people think they won't be able to do it is because they're afraid of the numbers themselves. They're afraid of the data part. And, you know, the first thing I said, the first why is know what your data is saying. And I, I have to reiterate what I said before, which is that you don't have to be the data scientist, or even a data analyst. You don't have to understand statistics. Maybe you have a subject matter expert, a partner, a colleague who's gonna do the primary heavy lifting around the data analysis. Your job is more like the journalist who's gonna to listen to that and even, by the way, help them understand what they're really saying, really thinking about the data, and then just translate that for other people. So. You know, you know, there's like a spectrum of data knowledge and expertise. Up here, the you know the crazy data scientists. Down here is I think one plus one is like two or three maybe ish. Um, you can be pretty close to down here and, and communicate with data as long as you have good partners you can work with who can help you. You know, get enough understanding of the data to know how to communicate it. Which gets to by the way, what Jessica said. What's re what do I really want to say here? What what's the point here? You ask your subject matter expert. What are right, you just said a lot of numbers at me. What's the point? You tell me in English, by the way, dude. What's the point of that stuff you just told me? And then he'll say, oh, yeah, yeah. Standard deviation, chi-squared test, blah, blah, statistics, mumbo jumbo. Oh, yeah, no, that's not what I meant. What I really meant is that people like strawberry ice cream. Oh, thank you. That's the, that's the point? Okay, why don't we just say that? Ah, oh, good idea, right? So 
Yeah, that's your job. You're the translator and you have to know some of the data, but not all the data. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. You, 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 you can learn to communicate for sure. You can learn enough data literacy to communicate data well. Step back from any of your fears and phobias to realize that it's very, very doable. It's totally doable. And it, it just made me laugh, but it was a good um, kind of reminder that maybe sometimes tag teaming, putting together data storytelling or data communications, tag teaming it with one of your colleagues is a great way yeah. to continue to siphon information out. And it's just kind of what you did, you know, when you can work with your colleague and be like, okay, so what's the point you're trying to say here to have somebody else remind you of that can help you clarify what it is that you're actually trying to say. So just having that totally. buddy, you know, sometimes having that buddy can help a lot. I, by the way, I'm looking at all the folks who are writing how is it that they exactly use data? And we really do have folks from all different industries, HR, healthcare, tech, the auto industry, um, the department of VA. So yes, a lot of folks are saying that they use data in some capacity. Um, let's see here. I'm just going to read some of it. You know, uh, I'm a program manager for LinkedIn Learning. And I use data visualization to show content usage and activation. So we love LinkedIn Learning. Bill and I are both LinkedIn Learning instructors. Let's see. Hospitality, they use data because of the feedback they get from guests, right? I'm sure it is they're collecting data from folks who are perhaps putting in surveys. Let's see. Purchasing in the auto industry. Uh, I like we try to communicate our results like we are speaking to a kindergartner. And that's fantastic. Simplify it. Um, yeah. in, I remember my old boss used to always tell me, think about just telling your best friend, your mom, what it is that you're trying to say. And I think that yeah. has always helped me make it more conversational, make my dense topic more conversational and like, okay, if I was going to explain this to my best friend, if I was going to explain this to my mom, would I want to just dump all this number? No, not really. I'm just going to tell her what it is. So... Can I give you my favorite sentence that I've ever written? What is it? And I, I've never done this from memory. We'll see if it works. Strive to disambiguate your abstruse concepts, even if your proclivity is to obfuscate, which of course just means use simple words. Like don't talk like that. <laughs> so yeah, like we can make ourselves sound real smart by going to the thesaurus or we can just say what we mean. Uh, that'll be much more clear. Uh, so two weeks ago, I actually had one of my other friends on on our Soulcast Media Live event, and he he's the chairman of Citibank in the South Asia region. And we had so much fun kind of going back and forth just like this, Bill, of talking about communications. But he said it as well. He just says, please keep your communication simple because yeah. he, as the boss, gets lots of people coming up to him and trying to use all these complex vocabulary words to try to sound smart and try to impress him. But he also has to be like, okay, hold on. Can you please just tell me what is it that you're trying to say? <laughs> and I think that's a great reminder that regardless of your industry, regardless of your level, people want simple. Yeah. Well, it's funny is that people talk that way, you know, when they're talking up, like you know, management structure, or when they're you know publishing it in like a public way. Yeah, we have this need to feel. You know, it, it's sort of like to sound smart and it's definitely also like a CYA thing. You know, you need to sound professional, come across in a certain way. And, you know, yeah, listen, Hemingway, one of the greatest American writers of all time, didn't use a single SAT word in his entire corpus, probably. 
So keep it simple. Straightforward absolutely is the way to go. I'm reading some of the comments that are coming in about you know how folks are using data in their everyday work. And this one just made me laugh, Maria. So without data, people, people won't give you money. But without a story, people don't understand why numbers are important. True. Yeah, data, I like is, it. data is convincing, right? Data is what you can really kind of put the nail in and be like, okay, I get it. But it's the stories that can be like, oh, I understand that pain. I understand that frustration. I understand yeah. that pain point, right? Although, you know, it's really funny. I'm working on a new talk, you know, to give at conferences that the, the tentative title is data-driven decision-making is bull, you know what? Because interestingly, and there was some, a lot of studies to back this up, we actually don't listen to data at all. Like human beings are very bad at reasoning. Even though, even though we think that's the only thing that separates us from the animals, it turns out we're terrible at it. Oh, we no. don't reason. So what we do is we decide for whatever reason, who knows why, because we want to decide on X, and then our reasoning is simply to convince ourselves that what we just decided already was the right choice. So does that mean for, throw out the data, forget why are we even here, let's just go have an ice cream? Maybe, but it also could mean that that's an even more reason, uh, more important reason for the story. If my data is not gonna convince you, and you know what, unfortunately it's not, the story is what's gonna connect with you as a human, make you feel something, and yeah, the data is there to help you reason and convince yourself why it's a good choice. <laughs> but in the end, you're gonna make the decision probably more so about the story than even about the data itself, which is very disheartening in some ways, uh, but uh, unfortunately it's true. So one of the questions that I wanna to get to is because I'm I'm reading how folks use data in their everyday work, you know, whether it's looking at metrics, whether it's, um, yeah, surveys, whether it's, let's see, just internal information. I imagine one of the questions people may have is, what stories? Like, what stories do I tell? Um, and by the way, if you all have any other questions for Bill and I, please continue to throw it into the chat function. I'm monitoring as Bill and I are chatting. But yes, so at this point, I think Bill and I, you and I have kind of repeatedly said stories are powerful. But then now people are like, okay, I get it. What stories? What stories can I put into my everyday conversation or everyday presentation that makes sense and aren't going to turn off my colleagues? And they'd be like, why are you talking that way? Right. You know, <laughs> what kind of stories can we incorporate that makes sense that can help get our message across? And I know this is a very broad question, but what are your thoughts on this, Bill? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, so it also circles back to the same question, you know, what am I doing here? What's the point? Uh, because you don't have data just because it's fun to have data. You chose to measure this thing over here. Um, you know, we choose in a corporation to measure how much stuff we sell. Why? Well, because you said it earlier, you can't manage what you don't measure, right? The famous, uh, Drucker, I think it was Drucker who said that we measure it so we can manage it. All right. So my boss said, hey, put a report together about that stuff we measured. All right, boss, here's the numbers. You don't just fling the numbers at them. There is a story to be told there. Okay, what story to your question? I don't know. What is the story? Is the story that, hey, it's a quarterly meeting of your salespeople, so you're probably focusing on the sales numbers 
And it's probably about the volatility in sales we've been seeing going on, but the sudden jump in sales last quarter. Maybe that's, a, that's an interesting story for the sales group. Or maybe it's not for the sales group. Maybe the story is for HR. Look at sales keep going up and up and up and up. We're gonna have to hire another 10% uh, of people this year to manage that growth. So it's extremely contextual. What am I measuring? Why am I measuring it? Who am I talking to about it? Wait a second, that sounds like the quiz again, right? So it's, what is the data saying? What does my audience need to hear? Salesperson versus CFO versus HR. And what do I really wanna say about it? Well, I really think we need to start hiring people because of X, Y, Z. So I would argue that the what's, what story to tell should be the easiest part of it, given that that's gonna be obvious based on those other three things. What am I measuring? Who am I talking to? And what, what's, what's important to focus in on? Interesting versus important. Um, you know, I think that, you know, how you, uh, how you hone that story can certainly be highly nuanced, meaning, um, it's the sales meeting sales been volatile, but they're going up. You could tell a story that's simply sales been volatile, but they're going up. That's a, probably a very short meeting, probably kind of boring meeting. And what can we do about it? Well, I guess sales are good. Let's all go take a vacation. Why should I keep selling, right? Or there may be some interesting nuance in that data. Maybe you need to know your data a little bit better. Sales are volatile, but they're going up. But you know what? In APAC, there was a weird dip in Q3 of last year. And no other region had it. Aha, now let's hone in and let's talk to the APAC sales group, et cetera. So, you know, the story sometimes doesn't seem like as much going on. And then that's where you have to go a little bit deeper into your data to maybe find the interesting story, the required story uh, for that context. And when you find that story, that dip will resonate a lot more because instead of just saying, oh, there's a dip, it's really being able to kind of figure out what is it that happened and communicate that story. So I yeah. feel like- I'd What should we do about it? Exactly, what should we do about it? So I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't mention another pillar of communication. So at this point, we've talked about having the data to almost, you know, solidify the message you're trying to make, finding that story to humanize it in some ways to get it to stick. But then the third element that I think we need to talk about is your delivery, your delivery of this information, because you can have yeah. the world's best store, you can have the world's most, uh, the biggest data set, but if you cannot communicate it and deliver your information in a compelling and interesting way, people are still not going to be able to retain that information that you're delivering. And so, and this is kind of where my work really comes in because I work with folks to really make sure their delivery is solid. And, you know, just from a high level point of view, it's things like using your body language. Sometimes when it comes to, you know, people communicating dense numbers, they also start to talk really robotic. They get really stiff, right? But I'm always reminding folks, no, treat it as a conversation. Even though you're doing a presentation, just tell the folks what it is that you're saying. Be mindful of your delivery. Use your hands, use your body language. Have some variety in your tone of voice. Lean in, you know, go out, you know, speak louder, speak softer, speak faster, speak slower. That's really the art, I think, of communication. If you can marry all these three things, your data, your stories, and you can nail that delivery. Oh my gosh, you are world-class communicator in my opinion. 
No, that's definitely true. And I'll even add a fourth piece to it, which is part of the presentation, part of that delivery. Um, but in data, it's really important to visualize it. Mm -hmm. So it's the visual representation of the data. And then yes, you also have to speak it, present it, maybe if you're in front of an audience to do that. And visualization is its own whole category of learning because you know we're all in Excel, we have our data, we can hit a button that says crank out a chart, but that chart can be next to useless unless you really are thoughtful about how you're designing it, what really goes on the axes, what colors you're using, and a whole bunch of other decisions. That is also very learnable, um, but that the, the visual can help you tell your story. A bad visual is a disruption. It's kind of like someone getting lost and wandering for, uh, wandering for 10 minutes when they're talking. The, the visual can really express the most important ideas in the data, and then your, your presentation of it can simply highlight it, add to it, summarize it uh, on top of that. So I would put those two things together. It reminds me of, um, so one of the work that I'm doing right now, I'm actually working with a client and he, of course, his role is in data as well. And we were going over one of his decks that he put together and he does a lot of presentations talking about the data that he collects. And actually, I remember when we were, well, when I was having him review it with me, he really was just kind of like reading it off one by one on his deck. And yeah. it was just like numbers, very typical numbers, 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 numbers <laughs> all one after the other. And I was like, okay, hold on. Like we need to rethink you kind of like just reading your presentation that way. So one of the tips that I shared with him, I'll share with those is all that data that's on his presentation, fantastic, really important information. But again, your presentation is there to support you. It's not there yeah. to essentially guide you in that way. You use it as a reference point to like say, oh, by the way, if you look on the left-hand side, you can see that that data says this, but really the focus should be your communications and how you're expressing that data. That's really the most important. So I don't yeah. know if you have anything else to add there, Bill. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, so this is where I'll come back to the phrase I used earlier. This is where defaulting to no is really important because I have a chart and there are 42 dots on a scatter plot. Mm -hmm and I labeled every single one of them. There's numbers all over the place. Now your audience is reading them, ignoring you, they're not even listening to you, mm -hmm. or you're reading them, God forbid, and now like everyone's falling asleep. <laughs> no, how about if you labeled none of them? Or maybe that one dot over here, that's the important one. Maybe you put a big circle around that one in a big box and you label just that one. Now it's supporting you telling the story you're telling and you're not distracting them with 999 other things on the screen that are just purely a distraction. So yeah, you have to help people focus, including in how you create those visuals. And the more information on that slide, the less they're able to focus and the less you're able to focus. You need to concentrate on telling your story. You should never be reading your slides. Less is more, absolutely. Yeah. So by the way, Bill, you and I have been chatting for close to an hour now and it's just flown by and yeah. I, first of all, I just want to thank you for spending your, I know it's your afternoon over there with us. But as we start to wrap up here, what are some, I like to call them golden nuggets. What are some golden nuggets that you'd love our audience members, the over 150 of y'all who are still on this with us right now to walk away with for them to think about, okay, when I get off this, you know, webinar, I'm going to go back I'm going to do some work but what can I remember when it comes to working with the data? So what is some golden nugget you can kind of share with our folks 
when it comes to communicating and data storytelling? I'll summarize the key ones I think that I said already. Number one, the quies. If you step back from your data and you just think about those three things, what is, what is the data saying? What does my audience need to hear? And what do I really want to say about it? Those three things, if you really figure them out, every single thing you do after that is going to be better. And constantly circle back to it, as you said, Jessica. Second golden nugget, I would say, is after you've figured that out, it's time to really think about that story, putting it together. Remember that stories are linear experiences that flow. Say it out loud to yourself. That's the other the tip that I usually give people is, I'm doing a data presentation. It might be an hour-long presentation. <clears throat> is there a way for you to express the two-minute version of that entire presentation in words to confirm that your story really flows from one idea to the next to the next? If you can summarize it in two minutes, you have a story that's going to work structurally. I guess the third bit, and I've, I use this in a couple different contexts, but I'll say it again, is absolutely default to no. You just said less is more. The phrase that I use in terms of design is do less. <laughs> if you default to no, if your visuals are as simple as you can make them in terms of the amount of colors that you use, in terms of the amount of labels that you put on them, and a few other things, if you just think of that screen as being as faded back as possible, and then boom, I'm gonna punch you in the face with this one line that I really want you to see with color and brightness and thickness, then you're, you're, I'm, you're forcing your audience, you're, you're begging them to see the important part, and the, the rest of it is just there for context. So do less or default to no uh, is a really good way to think about it. And then the fourth last one is the key to data storytelling in all of these stages is to forget the data for a moment. <laughs> Step back from the numbers. It's not about the numbers. I mean, it's all about the numbers. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but it's not about the numbers, right? It's about what the numbers mean. People prefer strawberry ice cream. Got it. I may give you crazy statistics to prove it, or I may not, depending on my audience, but the crazy statistics aren't the point. It's the ice cream. So focus on the ice cream. I guess that's, that's a weird golden, golden nugget, but I think that's it. Put that on the sticky pad. Focus on the ice cream, right? When in doubt. Because that's really the meat of it, right? I think sometimes a lot of us can get so consumed with the numbers. And I think because a lot of us may have jobs that are so heavily reliant on finding that data, on using numbers. But I think one of the advantages of being human and not robot is we can find that human side. We can analyze it in, in a, I guess, more advantageous way. Because like, okay, robots, they're the king of numbers. Like we have all those automations who can spit out all these numbers that humans can never do in that in that speed, in that way. But what we can do that can separate us from the robots is finding that way to humanize it, to make it understandable, and to make it, again, to build that connection, which ultimately is really what the storytelling is. It's to, we as humans have to be the ones to build the connection and not just be the ones to spit out the numbers because the computers do that, right? We don't yeah. need to be the one to spit out those numbers for folks, so. That is true, well said. Uh, Yep. So at this point, Bill, I just want to thank you so, so, so much for spending your afternoon with me here on our Soulcast Media Live event. Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn Learning always if you just Google my or search my name on LinkedIn Learning. And uh, my website is BillShander.com. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm always out there trying to share what I've learned over the many, many years. And uh, 
love to hear from you all and uh, talk to you about data storytelling. So thank you so much for having me, Jessica. Well, thank you, Bill, for being here. And for those who don't follow Bill already, be sure to on LinkedIn. Bill also has a number of LinkedIn learning courses because he's also a LinkedIn learning instructor, just like how I am. And us LinkedIn learning instructor folks, I we all love sharing our knowledge when it comes to whatever expertise or whatever area that we we focus on. Um, so for me, I'm all about communication. So if you haven't taken some of my communications courses, be sure to check them out on the LinkedIn learning platform. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you're inspired to begin improving your communications confidence, well, we'd love to help. Join our monthly communications membership where I teach a brand new communications workshop every single month. Or become a VIP member to access our best communications articles for life. Or maybe get one-on-one coaching with one of our board of communicators. We offer so many ways for you to learn and it's all housed on our website, soulcastmedia.com. Check it out and happy communicating.